You've got these water bottles that are a little smashed, so it doesn't really set. So just uh, ignore that. We'll throw it down there in case we need it. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all, whether you're here in person, whether you're joining us online. I know it's the holiday weekend, and uh, many people are traveling, getting one last vacation in, or one last getaway in, or <clears throat> just enjoying the long weekend. I know for me, I'm always excited for Labor Day, not because of the long weekend, not because that extra day off. I'm excited because it's the start of college football season, um, or as Kansas fans call it, almost basketball time. Um, but uh, glad that you guys are, are, are here with us today. I uh, wanted to give you a real quick plug before we jumped in. Next week, we're starting a brand new preaching series called Ripple Effect. We're going to look at the seven miracles in the Gospel of John. The seven miracles Jesus records in the Gospel of John, are recorded in the Gospel of John, miracles of Jesus, and look at how they not only impacted those in the moment, but how they still impact and affect us today, all these years later. So uh, don't miss that. We're going to jump in next week talking about that. But today we're going to wrap up our series called Finding God's Will, a series we started four weeks ago. And uh, we, we, we've taken this because I know this is something so many of us struggle with. So many people uh, have come to me at different times, even since I've been here, just in the last year. But uh, over my uh, time in ministry, just over really over my life period, saying, man, I just, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I feel like I'm stuck in a rut. Uh, like, God hasn't revealed this to me, or they'll try to do something they think God has revealed to them, and it doesn't work. Any, anybody ever tried that? Like, you feel like God's revealed this to you, and it just grinds to a halt? Well, that's kind of the purpose behind this series, and we're going to address some of that today, but the whole purpose behind this comes out of a verse in Ephesians chapter 2, and I've used it throughout this series. But this, this verse that we've talked about where it says, we are God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. I read that and I, and I hear that to say, before I was even created, God had a plan for my life. Before you were even created, God had a plan. And then he created you and prepared you to walk that path that he had prepared out in front of you. So just a quick recap of this series. Back in week one, we talked about what God's will is and what it looks like. And I said there's three parts. There's the providential will of God where God's going to do something whether you are ready for it or not, and God's moral will, the sense of right and wrong that we don't have to question because it's already laid out in front of us. You know, should I punch somebody in the face? God, if that's your will, let me, let me know. You already know the answer to that, right? Like, you don't have to question that. But our personal will is what we want to know and I told you week one, the personal will from God is always between his providential will and his moral will. And then we looked the last three weeks at three paths that we can take to try and figure out the path that he's laid out for us. And that was uh, talking about the Bible, kind of that clearest path where Brad talks about using the word of God to uh, discover what God has said to us already. And then we talked in week two about uh, using the people of God, godly uh, mentors, the, the, the community of the church, whether that's small groups or uh, gatherings together with godly people, people who are, are spiritually mature, who can help you discern what God is trying to say to you. And then we talked last week, Brad talked about prayer, talking to God and listening to God so that you can hear from him. Uh, today, we're going to tie all of this together by looking at how we can tap into our own uniqueness, our own personal creativity God has put into each one of us to help you discover how God wired you and maybe help you see what God has wired you and created you for. 
Psalm 139 is such a beautiful verse. And I love this verse because of just how multifaceted this verse can be. We use it for so many uh, purposes, but when we just read this verse, it says, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Uh, some of you some of you may knit. Some of you ladies may knit. Some of you guys may knit. Okay? Some of you are, are handy men. Some of you are crafty. You can build things. You can craft and create things with wood or metal, or maybe it's with fabric or with food. I mean, we, we have all these different ways we can create and mold things. And how many times do you just start randomly putting something together and hope you see what comes out in the end? No, you have a plan, right? You know what you want this to become, what this whether you're building a piece of furniture or you're baking a cake or whatever it is you might be doing, you have an end goal to serve a purpose. And you craft and create things very intentionally to make that. We, I don't think, are any different. I think God made every single one of you unique. And he created you in such a way that there's only one you. Some of you will remember this, the newer iPhones, like mine's not the newest one, but if last few years it doesn't have this anymore. Used to, there was a button on the bottom, right? And if you had one of these, you pushed your thumb and just held it and the phone came on. It read your thumbprint. Uh, my computer does the same thing. It's my fingerprint now. I'm the only one that can unlock that computer because it's my fingerprint that it reads. And, and that's kind of how we are. Each one of us is like a fingerprint of God. He's created you that's, you're the only one. There might be somebody a lot like you. You might have a sibling, a, a, you know, a parent-child relationship, maybe just somebody you really click with, and there's a lot of similarities, but there's only one you. In other words, you could say you were created on purpose for a purpose. That verse there in Psalm 139, I, I love that. And my oldest two, my, my oldest daughter especially, is starting to get to that age where she's trying to figure herself out. She's fifth grade, she's 10, and you know she's getting into a point where kids are starting to really develop personalities, and she doesn't know what hers is. She's a lot like me, and I, I'm trying to help her get there because I didn't figure mine out until I was in high school. And it was a rough few years trying to figure all that out, if you can remember what those years were like. But she came home one day, and, and she said, Dad, I just don't think the kids like me. They, they think I'm the weird kid. I'm thinking, well, you are, number one. But, you know, that's okay. Now, what did, I, what did I tell her? I gave her that dad response, right? I said, Elsie, I don't want to ruin your perception of me because I know you think I'm perfect and the greatest at everything, but there are some people who think I'm kind of weird too. And she's like, well, yeah, obviously you are. I'm like, and you're just like me, right? So, like, I said, it's okay. It's okay to be a little bit weird, Everybody's a little bit weird. Some people just decide to be weird just like somebody else is weird. Like, like some people just mimic other people. You need to try and be who God made you to be. And I'm trying to help her understand that. Jennifer had them write some verses out, and one of them was this verse in Psalm 139, that you were intricately and intentionally created and crafted and wired in design. And when we understand that, that you're wired and designed just a little bit differently, I think it helps you to understand more about how God created you and why God created you, and it will help you to follow the path that he has for you. I love the imagery of paths. We talk about walking with Jesus and, and going on this journey with Jesus. We, we use this imagery a lot, and throughout the Bible we see this imagery a lot. Like in Hebrews 12, where it says that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and to lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely. And I love the last part, and run with endurance 
the race set out before us. That's a great reminder, not just to run with endurance, but to run the race that's for us. Because the problem I think too many of us have is we're trying to run somebody else's race. I I can just speak from personal experience. There are many times I've probably tried to run somebody else's race. Like, well, this person, they're a lot like me. We're, We're talented in some of the same areas. We like the same things. We have a lot of similarities. And God, this is what you gave them, so you probably give me the same thing, right? And my race just never gets going. My race just won't get get going. So what I want to do today is look at just three very practical keys to help you discover how God wired you and created you so that you can maybe discover his will. And you'll notice in your notes, you've got this today, okay? Not an outline, not a bunch of fill in the blanks. You've got these circles right here. It's going to make more sense as we get into this because this is the key to helping you discover who you are and then discover what it is God might have in store for you. Is this the full answer? No, it's not the full answer for you. But to me, it was a, when I, I saw the same uh, set of diagram, same set of circles, it helped make things so much clearer for me. So we're going to fill these circles in, and I'll kind of explain them as we go. Here's your first circle, the top circle. This is where you're going to ask about your talents or your abilities. In other words, you can ask the question, what am I good at? And it's something that we all have things we're good at. We all have things that we uh, are, are gifted with. And those are even a little bit different with how you're gifted and how you're created. But that's the first circle there on the top, your talents, what am I good at? First Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, his young protege, do not neglect the gift you have. In other words, he's being very, very upfront. You have a gift. God gave you a gift. God granted you certain talents. He granted you certain abilities. And here's the cool thing about your abilities. They are unique to you. They're, they're kind of, again, kind of like a thumbprint, kind of like a fingerprint. Your talents, your abilities, those are unique to you. And I think it's easy to do a couple of things here. It's easy to say, well, I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I can't get up and preach or speak or, or, or teach. I'm not gifted like, like you know, you might be or like Ben might be or, or Brad. That's not the only abilities and talents. Ours are just more upfront visible. There are so many abilities and talents and gifts that God has given every single one of you. And I can promise you many of you have many talents I don't have. You have many gifts I don't have. There are many things I try to do and I'm just not good at them at all. We all have them. And even when you have a gift that might be the same gift as somebody else, it's still unique. Brad and I can both preach. We don't preach the same. We have very different styles and and, and approaches to how we preach. Ben and Tracy can get up here and lead worship. They have a very different approach, very different angle, different uh, talents within that talent, so to speak. It's finding what God has gifted you with and approaching it with confidence, See, I think there's this, this catch here that we want to have this, this sense of humility with, with our gifts and with our talents, and that's important. We need to have those. But be careful adapting this false humility. I've done this a lot, and, and somebody called me out on it a few years ago, and, and it kind of was eye-opening to me. And, and what I mean by false humility is somebody came up to me and goes, said, you know, you're pretty good at preaching. And I said, that's no, not nothing. It's nothing. No big deal. I just do it. Like, no, you, no, you're really good at it. I said, no, really. I, I'm, um. And somebody, one of my mentors finally goes, why are you disrespecting what God give, yeah, gave you? I'm like, I never thought of it that way. 
Because for me, it's just natural. I've always been able to do this. I've always been able to speak and communicate. Uh, as a kid, even, that's, that's something that I would write my own newspapers when I was like 10 years old. I had a lot of friends, by the way. But I would write my own newspapers when I was 10 years old. Or I would, you know, <laughs> practice doing a play-by-play of a, of a football game I was playing on Super Nintendo. I'll really date myself here. The very first Madden game on Super Nintendo. I, it was just something I could do. It was something that came easily to me. And it was something that I was able to run with. And I think when we look at what your gifts are, we sometimes get confused on what we really truly are good at. But we also have to be honest with ourselves at what we're not good at. And that's hard. That's hard to do because sometimes we really want to be good at things and we just can't. Like it dawned on me a long time ago. It didn't matter how much I practiced, how much I, I cared, how much I tried. I was not going to be good at basketball. It was not going to happen. I just wasn't given those gifts, okay? I wasn't given an extreme amount of athleticism to make that happen. There are other things that I'm just, I'm not gifted in, and that's okay. And that's where understanding more about yourself helps, maybe taking something like a spiritual gifts assessment. We, we talk about the church. There are certain roles within the church I'm not cut for. Uh, I can tell you I'm not cut uh, to be somebody in charge of all the finances. I do not have that eye for detail, I do not have that attention span to cover something like that. I'm not the one who should probably be over the kids' ministry. I would probably make kids cry, okay? Like, you don't want me down there. I'll, I'll hop in and help every once in a while, but you don't want me being that guy every single week. But your talents are, are part of, of that. If you're a joyful person and, and you, you're good at, at being uh, extroverted and, and talking, maybe you should be part of our welcome team. If you don't have that ability... To put on a smile, you shouldn't be out there. You know, like, like that's just, you understand how God created you and how he didn't create you. But if you're able to take, say, a personality assessment or a spiritual gifts assessment and it opens up and shows more about how God wired you, that'll help you discover maybe what you're good at and what you're not. And here's kind of the catch to that. If you do those and you ignore those and you ignore, say, well, you know what, I'm going to keep doing this even if I'm, I'm not the best at it then you kind of lose the right to be upset when things don't go like you think they should go. You have to understand what your talents are and you have to be honest with yourself. Here's the second circle. These are your passions. Your passions. You got your talents, what am I good at? Your passions. And your passions are where you ask the question, what do I love doing? What do I love to do? You might ask that question, what was I wired for? What was I created for? What lights that fire in my belly? What just really gets me going? Because God gave us things to be passionate about. Again, go back to what Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1. He says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Not just have the gift, but to fan it, to, to light that fire. See, I think, I think it's very clear. God gave us certain things in our lives that we can be passionate about. And I know too often we want to hear this phrase, and I've said this phrase before, uh, to you, that, that you hear people say, God cares about your holiness, not your happiness. He does. He does care about your holiness. He wants you to become Christ-like. But if he didn't care about your happiness at all, he wouldn't have given us that ability or that, that emotion. He wouldn't have given us joy. And the Bible wouldn't talk so much about joy that comes from him. There are things that, that light a fire in you. And, and you know this. There are things that don't light a fire in you, but there are things that you just get really excited about doing really excited about being a part of. 
Again, going back to myself to kind of give you the example here. Some of my passions in life have always been history and studying and, and sharing and teaching. I've always loved doing all of those things. Kind of on a more practical uh, spot, I always loved sports. Again, I just told you, I didn't have that talent. I wasn't given that ability to be a very good athlete, but I loved sports, and I know a lot about sports, and I love to lead, and I'm able to step in and lead at times. So what did that open a door for? I became a coach. I could teach the game and, and, and lead a group of teenagers in learning how to play the game. Now, was I the best coach? No, I had a lot to learn, but it was something that I was able to do and put all those things together. See, understand this. I, I don't think that God ever wastes a passion. He wired you a certain way for a certain reason. So I don't think he's going to waste a passion if he has given you that passion. He wants to use it for his kingdom. But here's the catch we have to keep in mind. Make sure your passions are aligned with God's word and with his will. Again, your personal will is always found between his providential will and his moral will. We told you this a couple of times through this series. God's moral will will never contradict God's word. So... Culture, society right now are giving us many, many things we can be passionate about. And some of those may not even necessarily inherently be bad things, but if they do not align with God's word, that should not be a passion that you just fan into flame. You need to keep that in mind. Here's your third circle. This is the burden. You've got your talents. What am I good at? Your passion. What do I love to do? Your burdens. This is where you ask the question, what needs to be done? Where is there a gap? Where is there a hole? Where is there a need? This may be something where you stop looking necessarily at the first two for just a moment, and you're just trying to say, God, where do you need me? God, where can I be used? God, where is there a gap? Where is, is there not being something done for your kingdom? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9 that preaching the good news is not something I boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. Now, Paul I think at times uses a bit of false humility. Paul brushes it off like he doesn't have the gift of preaching and he just does it because God calls him to. And we read all through Acts how he goes where the Spirit leads him to go whenever the Spirit tells him to go there. And that's great. Paul was a pretty good preacher. Paul was a pretty good communicator. Now whether he thought that's what his life was leading to or not, I don't know. But he followed what God had him to do. So when you're talking about burdens and what needs to be done, and, and maybe you're not sure what needs to be done, then you can ask this question and you can pray this to God. God, what do I see that breaks my heart? What do you see that breaks your heart? What do you see in the world around you, whether that's here in the church, whether that's in the community, your neighborhood, where, wherever you look, what do you see that breaks your heart? Where you just say, I wish just somebody could do something. And you probably don't even think about that being you. But you say, I wish somebody would do something to fill this need, to fill this gap. See, this is where I think getting in tune with the church works because too often I think we, we take that talent and that passion and we run with those and that's great, but there's really not necessarily a need for it immediately here. So where can we find a need? That's where it's so good to be in tune with the church where we can all be on the same page, all be on the same team, communicating well together. And we help each other find those needs. We help each other find those burdens that are out there. See, here's the trick to understanding this, I think. When we talk about these circles, you need to answer these three questions. What are you good at? What do you love to do? And where is there a need? And the trick, like any Venn diagram, is finding where these circles overlap. 
finding where that middle spot in these circles are, that is the trick right here. And in your notes, you've got these circles. If you want a blank set of circles, you can email me and I'll send them to you. I've already got them made up. Because my challenge, and we're going to get to it in a moment, is for you to fill this out. Let me just tell you, it's not going to happen today. If you can fill all these out today, you probably haven't really given God the chance to speak through you to do this. Because it's going to take a little bit of time. Because too often when we rush and we, we think we've filled all these out, in reality, we've only filled out two. We're, we're pretty good at seeing two. We're not always good at putting all three together. And I think if you're one of those that says, man, I'm just stuck in a rut right now, you're probably only filling out two of these. You're probably only hitting on two of these. And what happens when we do that, it's kind of like this. Let, let's say we just hit talents and passion. Like this, those are the only two you hit. You forget about burdens. Something I love to do, something I'm good at doing, that's called a hobby. Hobbies are good. And can you do ministry through hobbies? Sure. I love to golf. I'm, I'm not the best at it, but I'm decent. We've got a group of guys that goes and play golf. Is there some ministry that happens? Sure. Is it just life-changing, like impacting the world? Probably not. <laughs> You know, we're just seeing who can hit the fewest amount of balls in the river. That's what we're doing most of the time on that day, right? What about if it's a talent and there is a, a burden? Like it's something I'm good at, there's a need for it, but I don't really enjoy doing this. That's a duty. And there's times those need to be done. And some of you may be doing that right now. You're seeing a need, you're able to fill the need, you do it. But deep down you say, you know what, I'm just really not, I'm really not passionate about this. Well, first off, I, I want to thank you for doing it anyway. But you need to find where a passion can come apart of this, otherwise you're going to get burnt out. You're going to burn yourself out. And often when you burn yourself out of something, especially a role in the church, you tend to drift away from any role in the church. So be aware of that. Yes, you can fulfill your duty. And again, we thank you for doing that. We're grateful for you doing that. But make sure there's a passion that goes along with that. What about if you're not got the talent. You've got the passion. You love to do this. There's a burden. There's a need for it, but there's just no talent there. We call it a training opportunity. Like it's something you love to do. There is a need, but you're just not that good at it. I'm not saying don't ever pursue that, but maybe that's a good opportunity to connect with somebody who's got experience, who does have that talent and that passion, and they can help you learn how to do it better. I, I can tell you for me, again, I, I looked up growing up, I, I had the talent I think to communicate, I had the ability to speak. I didn't know how to preach. I really didn't know how to teach. I had to really follow a lot of people and watch a lot of people that did that to kind of learn how they did it so I could learn my own voice and just kind of emulate a little bit of what they did. Again, the key is finding where all three circles can be filled out and where all three circles overlap. That's the big key trick here. And again, that's not something that's probably just going to happen immediately. It's going to take some time. But when you find that intersection, that's where you're really going to find who you are and maybe just maybe what God has in store for you. Aristotle had a great quote. He said it like this, at the intersection where your gifts, talents, and abilities meet, uh, meet a human need, therein you will discover your purpose. Aristotle's not even talking about the Bible here. He's just talking about us as humans. But that so applies to God's will and how God wired us and created us. Again, go back to, to the story I said in week one. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. You can go back four weeks ago and watch that sermon if, if you want to see that whole story. 
But through my journey over the last 15 years or so, trying to figure out what God had in store for me, I mean, I was always open to ministry. I grew up in church. I always wanted to lead. I told God in high school, God, I would love to go be in ministry if that's what you have in store for me. Well, he didn't have it in store for me, at least not then. And I look back at this because, I, I, again, I've had this talent of communication on a big scale, whether that's written communication, whether that's verbal, whether that's you know, calling a football game live on TV or, or speaking in front of a group of people. I have a passion for teaching, for history, for study. I've always loved to do those things. And I have a passion for his church. And the burden was what I was looking for. And ultimately, after time, I found a burden because so many churches today, this, this crossroads is not one of them, but so many churches today have a burden because they need somebody who will preach and speak the truth of the Bible that's not skewed to the left or to the right, that is as true and honest as it can be. I will never claim to be perfect, never claim to have this all figured out, but to the absolute best of that ability and passion God gave me, preach the word of God unapologetically whether you like it or not. And that's the burden I saw, that too many churches weren't doing this. I told God, I said, the only thing I ask is you allow me to preach that truth in love and not come down beating people to death with my Bible or not come down and, and ignoring it all. Just preaching the truth, whether it steps on toes or not, because that's what it's supposed to do. And that's where I finally, after many years, saw those three circles line up for me. And it took a while, because here's the catch to those circles. Again, I kind of alluded to this a little bit. God sometimes will make you wait before you figure it all out. Why? I cannot answer that for you. I mean, I give you the short answer. It's you're not ready. But I can't tell you why yet. I look back at the last 15, 20 years of my life. Again, my, my story, I started to go into broadcasting. That didn't work. I graduated. I had this lull where I considered going to medical school and trying that. That really didn't work. <laughs> God gave me the desire to study, but not that much, right? Um, got into teaching, Bible college. I'm like, God, you could have just sent me to Bible college when I was 19, right out of high school. Well, I look back at it. There's no chance I was ready for Bible college at 19 years old. None. None whatsoever. I look back at it, and man, I, my, my, my character flaws were glaring back then. Ego off the charts. You know, arrogance off the charts. I was God's gift to everyone they just needed to pay attention and watch, right? What 19-year-old isn't? <laughs> Sorry if you're 19, but the truth hurts, right? No, I mean, that's, that was me. I was just ready to go. There's no way, looking back 15, 20 years ago, no way I was ready to get up and preach God's word. I thought I was, but there's no way. Could God have used me? Sure, God can use anyone, but there's no way. And God knew, he knew that I needed to go through some stuff that I wasn't going to learn otherwise, that wasn't going to refine me and shape me and mold me otherwise. Because the truth is this, God often wants to do something in you before he can do something through you. If you're in that lull right now, and I know some of you are, I know some of you are, you've talked to me and said, I just wish, wish I knew what to do next. You may just be in that period. Let me just tell you, don't give up. Don't give up. Be patient. Continue to trust God. Continue to trust him because he's often, or he, he's most likely doing something in you right now. So he can do something through you later. Take advantage of every opportunity in your life right now that's coming your way. 
whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, whether it's a high or it's a low, take advantage of that as you wait for God to reveal what he has for you because he will reveal what he has for you. Again, go back to our verse we've talked about all through this series, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You are his handiwork. I, I love this because almost every translation has a different word right there. It says you're his handiwork. The ESV, the, the word is, you are his workmanship. Now, again, I asked you this earlier. How many of you do some kind of craft, whether that is woodworking, metalworking, whether that's with food, fabrics, what, whatever, art, drawing? How many of you would consider yourself a workman or a workwoman in that area? The, the New Living Translation has an even better word. because This is, you are God's masterpiece. Have you ever created anything, whether you built it with your own hands or whatever, and it sets apart from all the rest of the stuff you've made? And you look like, man, I fucking never make anything quite as good as that. That was perfect. That was as perfect as I could do it. When it says we're his workmanship, his handiwork, his masterpiece, of all of God's creation, he chose one thing to bear his image, and that was us, you and me. He chose us, set apart from everything else, all the animals, all the plants, all the creation, us to bear his image so that we could live a life pursuing him, becoming like him, living for him. And that's this week's challenge, is to start putting those last few weeks into practice so you can discover where you are as, as part of his handiwork. And let me just tell you, some of you, I know some of you might be a little bit older, and you say, well, I've, I've accomplished what God laid out in front of me. If you're still breathing, God still has a will for you to follow. And maybe you've done many things. Maybe you've retired from a career that was, you know exactly, that's where God led me to do. There's something else for you. God's will is not a one-time thing. It's not, well, I got there, it was fun. No, there's another thing in front of you next, and then another thing, until he calls you home, and so your life on this earth ceases, there is something else for you to do. So pray to ask God what that is. Maybe your talents have changed. Maybe your passions have changed. Maybe the burdens you're looking at have changed. Fill those circles out again. Ask those questions again. And if you're curious how you can hear from him in the midst of all of that, I told you, if you go home today and you fill all three of those circles out today, you probably haven't waited long enough. Because remember, you should be reading his word in the midst of this. You should be seeking godly wisdom and godly counsel from spiritually mature people in the midst of this and praying in the midst of this. You may say, how much do I have to do that stuff? However long it takes. However much you're reading your Bible now, read it a little more. However much you're around godly people now, do it a little more. People say, how, how, how much a day should I pray? How much a day do you talk to your spouse? Do you, do you, guys, let me ask you this. How many of you, you talk to your wives 15 minutes before bedtime, and that's it. And if so, how's your relationship going? <laughs> now, Jennifer and I, we talk throughout the day. Is it nonstop? No, it's not nonstop. We have pockets here where we, we don't talk, especially if she's at work or if I'm in meetings or well, there's times we're not actually communicating. But when we are together, anytime one of us has something to say to the other, we just start talking. Why should it be any different with God? So, so, so be open to praying and listening to God as well too. And then, again, use this, this diagram to find what God has, has created you to be. Here's a takeaway for you today. It's a little different, some homework actually. I want you to take a personal inventory 
Okay, take a personal inventory and learn more about yourself so that you can learn and discover how God has wired you and then see how that fits into his kingdom. What do I, what do I mean by personal inventory? I, I said this off the top. There are assessments out there. One's called the spiritual gifts assessment. Some of you have taken this. Some of you have, 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 have heard of it and, and know what I'm talking about here. But in the New Testament are several spots where it, it lists out spiritual gifts. There are things like leadership or wisdom or teaching or hospitality or service. There's so many different. Discernment is, is one of these. The spiritual gifts assessment, you'll be given a set of questions or scenarios. You answer them honestly. Not how you want to be, answer them how you are. And when you go through this, it'll give you, well, these are probably your two or three most prominent spiritual gifts. That's what you're talented at. That's what you're good at. What do I mean by a personality assessment? These are things that aren't necessarily biblical, but they help, to dis- help you discover who you are. There, there's two that I've put on your notes there. One's called the disc, one's called the Enneagram. And let me just say, I do not swear by these as gospel. Some people do, I do not. But they give you a good glimpse of who you truly are. Uh, for example, I have always been somebody who, <clears throat> I've never been a big fan of confrontation. I, I'm never the first one to get something done. My, my wife says I'm a procrastinator. I says, no, I'm deadline oriented. If you want something, and here's an example. If you say, this is, I need this by Friday. Don't ask me Wednesday if it's done. It will not be done. If you want it at Wednesday, tell me you want it Wednesday. It's it's that simple, right? If you want me here at 10 o'clock, tell me you want me here at 10 o'clock. If I show up at 10, you say, well, you should have been here at 9.45. Tell me I should have been here at 9.45. It's it's pretty simple, right? Like, don't tell me something and mean something else. Just be straightforward. I've always thought these things about myself. Like, okay, well, it's something, maybe, maybe I'm just... Am I lazy? Am I, what, what am I? We did a DISC assessment. That's one of them that I, I listed there. D-I-S-E, those four letters represent different parts of personalities. D and S are opposites on the scale. I and C are, are opposites on the scale. I took this, this assessment, this has been many years ago. I've, I've changed a little since then. Before I was in ministry, I took this assessment. I get my results back there, an S and a C. Those are my two letters. D's, in terms of, of leadership style, they are the grab the bull by the horns, charge the hill, raw, raw type, my way or the highway kind of leader. S, the laid back, nothing really rattles you, take things in stride kind of leader. Remember the story I told you a couple of weeks ago? My wife and I with a chainsaw, I was trying to figure out how to do the job properly and she just needed to get it done. When they described these, they said a high D is a shortstop or a third baseman. You charge the ball. Your first step is always in. An S is a center fielder. Your first step is always back to evaluate the situation. Guess what position I played in baseball? Guess what my wife played in softball? <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, that's dead on, right? Uh, and I, I learn more about this. I get my results back. I'm an S and a C. S is my main letter. C is my secondary letter. I's are typically more extroverted. C's are more introverted. Pay attention to details. I's you know, sometimes are distracted easily. And I get this back, and I'm like, okay, so I'm an SC. The label, peacemaker. What did I say earlier? I don't like conflict. Because I'm wired to solve conflict. I'm wired to avoid it and and try to bring people back together. I'm wired in such a way when I'm reading the description of this, somebody who doesn't like meetings that are pointless or that they conceive to be pointless. So if I'm ever in a meeting and you see me drifting off, it's because I just can't pay attention. Nothing personal. 
That's, that's how God wired me. You can blame him, right? That's, that's what we do, right? We, we see this, and the hilarious part where I said, don't take these as gospel. When they said, of all these personality types, guess which one is the least likely to become a senior pastor? Guess where SC ranked? Way down at the bottom. So don't take them as full of gospel, but they'll give you some insight into who you are. They'll give you some insight into how God wired you because that'll help you, I think, understand. Like, it makes sense to me. Okay, I'm not that charge the hill type. There's nothing wrong with me. I don't have to become that. That's not who I am. So I'll take things how God wired me and created me. Helps you to see who you are, but more importantly, who you are not. So again, take some time this week. Those are free to take online. You can pay if you want, but there are free versions online. They'll take you maybe 30 minutes to do. If you're trying to figure out what God has in store for you. I just encourage you to do that. And don't rush it, and don't get impatient, and don't get frustrated when God doesn't reveal it to you immediately. Because God wired you a certain way. And my prayer for all of us is that every single one of us would figure out the path God has set in front of us individually, so as a church, we can find the path God has for us collectively. Because that church... A church that is united, that is clicking, and there is no greater force for good or for God in the entire world than his church running in stride together. That's my vision for us at Crossroads. That's what I hope for us at Crossroads, that we make such an impact in this entire area that, that everybody knows about Jesus because of what you all are doing, simply living the life God has created you to live. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you have made us on purpose for a purpose, that you made us with intentionality, God, that we weren't just a bunch of ingredients thrown into a pot and stirred up and here's what we are, but God, you had a very specific design and plan for all of us. God, I pray today for anybody who is struggling to figure that out, Lord, you would give them clarity, give them discernment, give them the wisdom to not only hear your voice, but God, to know where to look for your voice to know how to seek it out. God, reveal to them, in all humility, reveal to them what they're good at. Don't let them shy away from that. And God, reveal to them what they struggle with that is either a talent they can't acquire or one they need to work on. God, show them their passions and how those can be used for you. And God, reveal to us the burden, the need here in the church. God, we want to live a life for you because we know living the life you've called us to live is the most fulfilling life you have for us. And God, that's what I desire and want for this church. God, we're so grateful for you. We're grateful for your son. We pray in his name. Amen. We're going to step into a time of communion. And I don't have anything deep or wise or creative to say. I just want to take a moment and, and read a passage of Scripture, one that many of you are familiar with, some of you may not be. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, some of you may wonder why we take communion, what the purpose behind it is. And, and one of these days, I'll, I'll preach a whole sermon on it. But for right now, just to kind of let you know as we take this, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes these words, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We take communion to remember what Jesus did on the cross. His body that was broken, represented by a piece of bread, and his blood that was shed, represented by a little cup of juice. To remember that sacrifice that cleansed us of our sins, that redeemed and restored us back to God, that welcomed us back into that relationship with him. But also, too, for that promise that he'll one day come back and he'll cleanse this world of everything that is broken. And he'll recreate a new heaven and a new earth and all the old things will pass away. And those who have believed in him and who have given their lives to him will share that with him. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus, for this moment that we get to have to remember what you have done and what you will do. God, we just pray that you would be with us in this moment as we honor you, as we bless you, and we pray it in your name.